Good morning. We um, get to spend another week on that big three-letter word that we call sin. It's going to be lots of fun, so just bear with me as we talk about sin and, and what it does in our lives. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe we need to do some defining of this, this term sin. Sin is something we do that... Um, the first and foremost, it separates us from God. It is, um, there's two things. One of them is, it's a behavior. Um, so it's an actual action that we do um, that is outside of God's plan and outside of his purposes. So an example would be we have um, the Ten Commandments. If we break one of those, that would be a sin. Um, but even, even more than that, uh, sin is a state. It's a status, if you will, um, and so when you're born, when I was born, we're born into a state of sin. What that means is we cannot help but to sin. That's just, that's just what we do. We're very good at it. Um, I'm sure you all can see that in your own lives. So you're very good at sin, and it, it's easy. And, and, and Mike talked about this a little bit last week. And, and he said, you know, we see often three things that flow out of sin, whether the action of sin or the state of sin, the fact of the matter is there's three things that flow from it, and the first one is alienation. We are separated from God. We are alienated from God. We are alienated from each other. And you, you've seen this, at least in, in your relationships, whether it's at home or at the office or in the neighborhood, wherever it is, you've seen the alienation that comes with sin. When you've wronged somebody, you, you see that, you feel it, you know it. But the reason we have that alienation is because we are alienated from God. We are alienated from God. And this alienation, um, if you will, is, is an eternal problem. It's an eternal problem. It's a temporary one. You know, we feel it in this life and we see the results of that. But, but, but down the road, hear me and hear me clearly, this is an eternal problem. If you look at David, let's remember back last week what's going on. So David is, uh, well, he sees Bathsheba. He sees her, and, and, and she's beautiful, and he decides that he wants her. And so he sends for her, and she comes, and um, he has an affair with her, and he, he gets her pregnant. And then he's got to figure out a way to cover that up. And so he tries all these things to, 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 to cover this up, and the only option he has is to have her husband murdered. And so he calls this man in from the front lines of battle and then sends him back with a message. This guy is carrying, uh, this blows my mind, David sends a message with the man he's going to murder. This sealed envelope, I guess, and um, um, Uriah hands it to his commander, Joab, and Joab reads it and it says, Joab, send Uriah to the front lines, then draw back from him so that he will die. And so Joab does this. Joab, you know, he's not real happy. Joab has this, Uriah is a great warrior, a great commander. Joab, as the head of the army, isn't real excited about sending one of his best men intentionally to die because the king wants him to. But he does it, and he sends word back to David, Uriah's dead. Um, and David says to Joab, um, don't let this thing bother you. Don't let it burden you. Don't let it displease you. And so this idea of alienation, David's trying to cover it up. He's like, don't worry about it. He probably would have died anyway. It's just he died sooner. Um, 
Don't worry about it. Don't let it displease you. So David's trying to cover it up. But alienation, like we said, this is eternal. This is an eternal problem. And so what do we see in verse 27 today? David um, brought Bathsheba into his, to his house. And then in the last line, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, David's over here telling Joab, don't worry about it, don't let it bother you. And, and here's God saying, this really bothers me. This pleases the Lord. And so there, there's an alienation there. This is an eternal problem. And so what we will look at today is confronting our sin. If we don't confront it, if we don't ask God to confront it, we are going to be stuck in an eternal problem. Alienation. Separation. Don't forget that. So a couple more things Mike mentioned. It's alienation. Um, often sin leads to betrayal. David betrayed one of his best commanders. One of his best men in the army. David betrayed him. He, he had him killed. And it is, it is progressive. Sin is progressive. Um, let's be honest for a second. You know, sin's kind of fun. Right? Sin, you know, it's kind of fun sometimes. Um, we probably wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun, if it didn't feel good, if it wasn't something we wanted to do. Uh, frankly, um, sin can be fun. And, and so, so, so there's this particular sin, and you think, oh, that'll make me feel really good if I do it, or, or, or I just, I'm just going to do this thing. And, and it leads into this cycle, this progressive. Look at David. So, so he sees Bathsheba, and he, com- he breaks one commandment, thou shalt not covet. He covets his neighbor's wife. He said, oh, this will be fun. Second commandment, he breaks adultery. Okay, now he makes adultery. He, he enters into adultery. I don't even know how you say it. Thou shalt not commit adultery. David breaks that one. Second sin. Okay, and you see the progression. Now what's he going to do about it? Thou shalt not murder. Okay, that one's not so fun. But you see the progression from, from, from coveting to adultery to murder. Um, where does it stop? Where does it stop? Sin is progressive. And so what we want to ask is, is how, how does God confront that? How, how can we confront it? And, and the way we're going to do this is you're going to have to answer two questions. You don't have to tell me, but you're going to have to answer them um, before God. You're going to have to answer them themself, yourself. Two questions. Can you see it and can you own it? Can you see it and can you own it? Can you see the sin in your life? Can you see it? That's actually probably the easier part. The second question is, once you've seen it, can you own it? Can you take responsibility for it? Can you see it and can you own it? That's what we're going to look at. So let's, um, let's get started. Can you see your sin? There's two um, sides to this, and, and one of them is this idea that we would never do that. I would never do that, okay? And so just remember this, never say never. You've heard that before. Never say never. We read the story about David, and we think, wow, that's really bad. I would never do that. I would never commit adultery. I would never commit murder. And those are some big things, and that might be true. I would never do that. Or the, the, the other thing that this looks like is maybe you're praying, and you're feeling very holy and pious, and you're praying, and you say, Lord, thank you that I'm not like those people. I would never want to be that way. 
You already are. Do you see that? Okay. And so never say never. There are things, there are sins um, that we're going to commit. And the second we convince ourselves that we would never do it, that we can't do it, that there's no way that we would ever go there, the second we say that, Satan's going to jump in there, he's going to grab hold of that, and he's going to say, watch and see. Watch. I will bring you to that spot. If you think you can avoid these things, avoid these temptations, um, refuse to engage in them, or if you think maybe you can taste one little sin, but you're not going to go further down the road, if you think that, just wait. Watch what happens. It is only, it is only by the grace of God that any of us can be who we are. Only by the grace of God that we don't go the same road as David. Never say never. Second thing um, that we want to, to, to think about is, I want to just give you an image, and it's a, a silly image, but, but nevertheless. Um, what, 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 how does it go? If you're pointing at somebody, what does that mean? What do you have? Three fingers pointing right back at you. Um, you know, that's a silly thing we say to our kids. There's three fingers pointing back at you. Ha, 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 ha. But really, remember that and think about it. If you're pointing at someone else, you have three fingers pointing right back at you. And so the question is, can you see your sin? Can you see it or are you too busy looking at somebody else's? Can you see your sin or are you too busy looking at somebody else's? Let's look at David. Um, let's go to... Verse 1, maybe, okay. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city. This is a hypothetical situation. Nathan is asking David for a judgment. There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. And they used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. So the rich man took the poor man's lamb. He stole it. He took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. This rich guy who's got an abundance of everything goes to the poor guy, steals his little family lamb, and slaughters it to serve this guest. What are you going to do about it, King David? David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David is very good at seeing sin in other people. You see that? It's very clear to David, the problem. And, and before we get self-righteous and say, oh, David, you have a log in your eye and you can't even, you know, before we do that, let's remember, David's the king, okay? And so part of his job was to serve justice, to make sure justice was served. And so he should be able to call these things out and to see them and make a judgment on this and, and to make the rich man pay for his crimes. Absolutely, that is something David should be doing. The problem isn't the fact that he does it. The problem is the fact that David does it as if he was above the law. Because David is sitting here and he's ignoring or pretending he doesn't see it or or is just dumb 
that he has committed these three horrendous sins, and he's casting judgment on this man. He's standing above the law and casting judgment. How often do we do this? We stand above ourselves, above our own sinfulness, and cast judgment on others. Thank God I'm not like that person. You are. You are the man. David, you are that man. David, he, he's, not, he's not dumb, okay? He did, it's not like he missed the week of school where they talked about um, being a king and knowing the law. He didn't miss that, okay? He's a king and he knows the law. He tells him, listen, he says, he should repay the man fourfold. He should give him four lambs in exchange for the one he took. Do you know where he got that? He didn't make it up. That's in Exodus chapter 22, verse 1. A very obscure verse that David knows in his heart that this man should not have done that and needs to repay it four for one. So you think David doesn't know where he's standing? Do you think he doesn't know? He's, he's standing above the law. He's saying, I'm the king. I'm above this. He's saying, I'm holy. I'm part of the church. Look at those people. Can you see it, friends? But here, um, here we come to the, the second question. And I think this one, I think this one's so much harder. Um, can you own it? Can you own your sin? That's a tough one because honestly, if we're honest, I think most of us actually can see our sins. We, there are very few people in this room who are coming here thinking they're perfect or they're holy. And we all have got our stuff. And you brought it here with you today, and I commend you for that. You know. You don't need me to tell you about it. You know the things in your life where you are just not, where you just don't have it together. You know that. Question is, can you own it? Can you own it? Could David own it? So, um... Nathan comes and he calls David out. He, he, he prints this, this story. David can see the sin clearly of this other man. And then Nathan turns it on his head and says, David, you are that man. David, can you own it? What does David say? He says, I have sinned before the Lord. David could own it. He owned it. In a second, we're going to read um, Psalm 51. And, and as we read it, I want you to take those words and make them yours because that, those are the words of a man who has owned his sin, okay? I have sinned before the Lord. It helps maybe to con contrast David with, uh, with Saul. You remember Saul? Saul was the king before David. Um, God had made him king. Saul very quickly decided he wasn't going to follow what God wanted him to do and um, did a couple of things to, to, to burden that relationship but the precipitating one, the one that really the straw that broke the camel's back is God sends Saul off into battle. He says, go into battle, take this town, don't bring back anything. Don't bring back any spoils, don't bring back any animals, don't bring back any money. Um, you know, destroy it. Because that stuff will, will corrupt you. And so Saul says, okay, I'll do that. And, and, and Saul goes off into battle and... He gets there, and they win the victory, and the Bible's very clear about this. It says, Saul and the people brought back the spoils. They brought back 
the animals. They brought back the money. Saul and the people did this, and, and they're celebrating, and they're, they're rejoicing, and the prophet at that time was a man named Samuel. Samuel comes up to Saul. He says, hey, welcome back, Saul. And Saul says, hey, Samuel, how you doing? And, and Samuel says, you know, how'd it go? And Saul says, oh, it went great. We did everything God told us to do. And Samuel says, oh, what's, what are all those animal noises I hear? What's with the, the sheep and the ox and Saul? What, what's that all about? And Saul says, oh, that, yeah. Um, the people, the people brought him back. I did everything God told me to do, but the people brought him back. Do you see? Saul cannot own it. He cannot own it. They did it. Punish them. Don't punish me. Saul gets punished. The kingdom of God is, is taken from him. In a few verses later, the spirit of God is, is taken from Saul. Why? Because he couldn't own his sin. Look at David. David, will you own it? I have sinned before the Lord. My house, so, for those of you who don't know me, I have five kids, um, almost eight and younger. And uh, sometimes it resembles a family circus cartoon. You all know family circus? Um, <laughs> And for those of y'all who don't know, it's a family much like mine. They have a lot of kids. And, and um, here's how it usually goes in my house. Hey, you know, who made this mess? Not me. Who, you know, who stepped on the baby? Why is she crying? Not me. Um, sometimes sometimes it's, 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 it's me and, and the kids come to me. Who ate all the cookies? Oh, not me. <laughs> and, and so it's like there's this little person, this little not me, running around our house committing all these sins while we look on very holy and righteous um, and not me is taking care of all of this. Is that, does that sound like your life? Can you own that? Can you own it? And here's another question. It's not just owning it before God, but can you own it before your spouse, before your family, before your friends? Can you own it? Have you ever looked a four-year-old in the eye and said, I am sorry? I am sorry that I didn't make it? So whatever game you had, I am sorry that I lied to you. Have you done that? That is a humbling thing to do. Can you own it? Listen, uh, just to be very clear, I didn't take a course in seminary that says something like how to spot sin and tell other people about it. Okay? <laughs> uh, this, is com- this is coming from my life. From, my, from what I do, just day in and day out. I'm just like you. And it's so hard to own that. I know it. I've been there. But you've, you've got to own it. Can you see it? Can you own it? And then um, I want to leave you with one final question. Why in the world would you want to do either of those things? Why in the world would you want to do those things? And, and let's be, to be perfectly honest, if I set my faith aside, if I said, okay, um, if I didn't believe in a Savior, if I didn't believe that God came down to rescue me from this very problem we're talking about, if I didn't believe that, honestly, I'm not sure I'd want to see my sin, and I'm not sure I'd want to own up to it. Why on earth would you want to go through something painful and difficult like that? Maybe, maybe there's one reason. Maybe if it um, would help your situation out, if it would help you out in the office, if it would help you out at home, um, for maybe some very selfish reason, it might be actually helpful to 
know your sins and to confess them. But for the most part, if it's not going to help you out, I'm not, if it's not going to help me out, I'm not sure I want to know about it. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to deal with it. I would rather just go on with my life um, and be happy. Or try to be happy or something. But I do have faith. I have faith in a Savior who gave his life for me. And because of that, not because of some sort of selfish desire that I would be better or more holy, but because of what Jesus has done, I have to confess my sin. I ask God daily to show me where I have fallen short of him. Look at, um, look at back at Samuel 12. So this whole thing happens, and, and Nathan says, you are the man. And then he has this word from God. And so rather than picturing God as angry and judgmental, um, and, and judge, he is a judge, that's his job. Um, but he's not, he's, think of him weeping when he says this. Weeping that this great man, this man after God's own heart, this king of Israel has, has gone astray from him. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the land of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you much more. Why? Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Why? I gave you all the promises of this book here. I gave you my one and only son, Jesus Christ, to give himself up for you because of this very problem, this very sin problem. Why will you not accept that? Why will you not let it go? Why will you not see your sins? Why will you not own them? Why? Like I said, we, we've all come here today with our stuff. We've, we've all got our stuff. And what are you waiting for? Why not give it up? Because here's the deal. Do you see how awful David was? Do you see that? No matter what you have done, no matter where have you been, where have you been, it, it does not matter. God is calling you. Why won't you come back to me and let me love you as I want to love you? Why? Can you see it? Can you own it? Will you give them to God? Let's stand. I am going to say a quick prayer, and then for our confession, we are going to use Psalm 51, and, and you'll see it up on the screen, and I'll say something, and y'all can respond, and, and basically, these are the words of David. When David saw his sin, and when he owned his sin, he penned this psalm um, as, a, as a confession, and we're going to say it as such this morning, so let's pray. Lord, you've brought us here to see our sin. You brought us here to own our sin. 
You have brought us here to confess our sin. But we all have our stuff. We, we've all got it. So I pray, Lord, give us the strength through the power of your Holy Spirit to give it up to you. Convict us now, Lord, of those places we've fallen short and help us to take full responsibility for that. Now let us confess our sin against God and our neighbor. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your loving kindness. In your great compassion, blot out my offenses. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And so you are justified when you speak and upright in your judgment. For behold, you look for truth deep within me, and you will make me understand wisdom secretly. Make me hear of joy and gladness that the body you have broken may rejoice. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Give me the joy of your saving help again and sustain me with your bountiful spirit. Now may the Almighty God have mercy on you. May he forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep you in eternal life. Amen.